Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey everyone, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we have a special guest for Friend Friday, Rick Keller. He is a four-term congressman, attorney, and now a Chicken Soup for the Soul contributor. So Rick, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Well, thank you, Amy. So excited to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. And I would like to tell everybody a little bit about you before we get started. Rick Keller served as a United States congressman for eight years. Today, he is an author, humorist, speaker, TV commentator, and attorney. He recently gave a TEDx talk called The Secret Power of Self-Deprecating Humor. And Rick received his bachelor's degree from East Tennessee State University, where he graduated first in his class, and then he got his law degree from Vanderbilt. He lives in Winter Park, Florida with his wife, Lori, and he has a new book coming out in September called Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams. So, Rick, how did you find out about Chicken Soup for the Soul and decide to submit a story to us? I've always loved the warm stories and the inspiration. And when I saw that you all had two particular topics that I'm passionate about, humor and kindness, I thought, you know, this will be a fun thing. I was surprised that you said yes happily and and that you published my stories, but I was just thrilled with the particular topics that we're here talking about. Well, that is great to hear. And We already know that Chicken Soup for the Soul Kindness Matters is a bestseller, and we're about to find out if Chicken Soup for the Soul Too Funny is a bestseller, but I suspect it will be because our two prior humor books did really, really well. So we're really glad you submitted, and we actually took two of your stories for the kindness book, and so that was a big thrill for us. So you know what we should do? We should talk first about your story called Mr. Overstreet because that really explains to everybody how you got where you are today. Would you like to give us a short rendition of that story? Yeah, absolutely. So I was raised by a single mom. And when I was 17, even though I worked as a dishwasher and busboy and short order cook and got Pell Grants, I still didn't have enough money to go to college. And my mom was a secretary for the CEO of a company named Mr. Overstreet. He was 81 years old. And from time to time, he would ask her, hey, would you type up some checks for these charitable contributions? And mom said, you know, I've seen them make so many generous contributions from this company. Why don't you come in and and ask Mr. Overstreet if his company would be willing to make a contribution to help you go to college? And so I went in and I made my pitch and I was passionate and I'm like, I will get straight A's and I'll try so hard. It won't be money thrown down the the tube if if your company takes a chance on me. And he said, well, son, I'm just the president of the company. I have a board of directors to answer to. If you come back on Tuesday afternoon, I'll let you know. We have a meeting that morning, a board meeting. 
So I came back. I couldn't sleep for a couple of days. And, and he said, well, son, we've met. And the answer is, they said, no, they're not going to help pay for your college. And it's nothing personal, but they feel like if they did that for you, they would have to do that for the children of every single employee here. And they're just not set up for that. And so I had kind of braced myself for that possibility. And I was telling myself, say thank you, say thank you. And I started saying thank you. And just involuntarily, as I was saying thank you, I just started crying. And I knew then that I wouldn't be able to go to college. And I'd be stuck at that restaurant flipping burgers. And as I, tears were coming down my face, he said, well, son, you can wipe the tears away. I said, the company couldn't put you through college. I didn't say that I couldn't. And with that, he stroked a check and sent me off to college. And then four years later, I stood up on the stage and I had graduated number one in my class with a 4.0 as promised. And that got me a scholarship to Vanderbilt Law School. And he lived just long enough to see me graduate from Vandy. And then eight years later, I had the happy privilege of being elected to the U.S. Congress. And I used my speech on election night to thank him. And I imagined him looking down from heaven. And I was just proud of him. And I hoped he was proud of me. And I became chairman of the Higher Education Subcommittee in Congress. And my number one passion was helping other poor kids go to college. And I increased Pell Grants by 62%. And that made it possible for five and a half million other students to go to college. And so I wanted to write his story. It's a little known story just because literally one kind man who didn't seek any publicity and there was nothing I could do to help him literally impacted five and a half million lives. And I was just so proud of him. And that's how I came to write that story. Well, I think it's a great story and it really fits with the theme of the book, which is if you have an impulse to do something kind for somebody, go for it. Don't hesitate. You know how we sometimes overthink it? We think, oh, maybe the person won't want it. Or even if it's something really simple, like seeing the person in front of you is a dollar short at the cash register and you just give them the dollar so that they can not have to put something back. So anyway, it was a great story. And you had another story in our Kindness Matters book about another, I would say, life milestone event. Why don't you tell us that story? So, yeah, I started dating this wonderful girl, Lori, and one of our first big dates, I took her to a uh, Chicago tribute concert, and that was the first time we said, I love you, and they have a key song, you know, called Just You and Me, and fast forward six months later, I decided I was going to propose to Lori because the real Chicago was in town, and it happened to be on her birthday, even. I was at the Clearwater Jazz Festival, and so I had surprised her, and I had a wedding ring in my pocket, and was going to pop the question, and I get to the Clearwater Jazz Festival about an hour before the concert. It was at nighttime, and I didn't realize how popular it was. There was like 15,000 people, and there's not a seat within a half a mile, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? This is horrible. And so I looked up and down for like 20 minutes, couldn't get a seat. It was so stressed. And this man weighs me over. I would later learn that his name is Terry. And I came over there and he said, hey, I just saw you guys looking for a seat and we're going to scrunch up and make, make room for you. And I was like, how sweet. So now we're up by the stage. And when Lori went to get a beverage, I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to propose to her and it's going to be during the song, just you and me, I said, would it be okay if I handed you my iPhone and you record it? And he's like, oh, absolutely. And so midway through the concert, they still hadn't played the song and he leans over, he's like, 
yo, man, is this still going on? I'm like, yeah, it's still going on. And then toward the end, I hear the chords of, of just you and me. And I handed back my iPhone and I was, I had been confident and everything until that point, but I wasn't anymore. My hand was like shaking and he could tell. And he took the iPhone and put his hand on my shoulder and said, you're going to do great, buddy. It's going to be, going to be wonderful. And so I proposed and got down on one knee and he just, he captured everything. It was like a Hollywood director. He captured the band Chicago, captured me proposing, her saying yes, a picture of the ring. And unbeknownst to us, when I was down on one knee, the whole crowd had seen what was happening and everyone started cheering and he captured that too. And so he really single-handedly was like an angel that, that saved the day. I was nervous and he comforted me. He got me a seat. He filmed it like a Hollywood director, but in the excitement of it all, I forgot to ask him his last name or get his business card. And so we have been searching for Terry ever since. And I had hoped that maybe if I write this little story that he could find out about it somehow because we wanted to get him a really nice gift certificate to a local steakhouse and say thank you. So this story is about my my search for the Good Samaritan who really helped make this the most special day of my life. Anybody who's listening, if they know a Terry who went to a Chicago concert, where was the concert and what month and year was it? So the concert was in Clearwater, which is a city right beside Tampa, Florida. And the year was October of 2020. Okay. October 19th, Clearwater Jazz Festival. All right. Maybe one of our listeners will know of Terry and they'll put Terry in touch with you. Well, that would be wonderful. It would be. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for an ad, just one ad, and then we're going to be back with Rick to talk about the power of self-deprecating humor and also his latest Chicken Soup for the Soul story in our new humor book that just came out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Rick Keller, and we're talking about humor, and most importantly, making fun of ourselves. Rick, you see a lot of power in self-deprecating humor, and that's actually what you wrote about in Chicken Soup for the Soul Too Funny. You wrote a story where you basically told on yourself. I did, and I I recently did a TEDx talk, too, called The Secret Power of Self-Deprecating Humor. And I really think it is a secret power because self-deprecating humor relaxes people and it deflects criticism and it builds rapport. And it's seldom used. And the reason is it's it's counterintuitive. From the time we were little, we've been encouraged to present this perfect image to the outside world. Fake it till you make it and put your best foot forward and never let them see your sweat. And I think the truth, Amy, is exactly the opposite of that. I think we connect with people by being vulnerable and authentic and real. And it takes a lot of self-confidence to use self-deprecating humor. It essentially says, look, I know that I'm flawed, but I'm also a good person. So I believe in myself and I hope you believe in me too. And the story I talked about is called The Blue Patch. And it was an incident that uh, I did something that ended up backfiring, even though I was trying to do a good deed there. Yeah. So you 
by accident, <laughs> you ran a race at an elementary school and beat the fifth graders in the race and you got booed. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, when I was a kid, the biggest highlight was was winning these President's Council of Physical Fitness patches and you get a certificate signed by the president, you think. And so when I became in Congress, I thought, you know, I really want to make this special. And so I went to this elementary school to personally pass out these certificates and patches on behalf of the president. And I brought a gold medal athlete with me, Dot Richardson, who won two gold medals, captain of the softball team. And she gave this inspiring speech and was wonderful and lifted up these medals and all the kids were excited. And so we said our goodbyes and I thought, gosh, what a wonderful guy I am and Dot is for, for making these kids day. And we were leaving and the PE teacher said, oh, we have a little surprise for you. I'm like, what's that? And like, we want you to have a foot race. We've chosen the fastest boy in the school to run against Rick and the fastest girl to run against Dot. And they were fifth graders. And I didn't know if I could beat a fifth grader. I knew I could beat a first grader and I knew I would lose to a 12th grader. So I was torn on what to do. <laughs> it was field day. It was like 300 parents there. And I line up for the race and I said, Dot, should we just let him win? And she's like real competitive. She's like, no, no, we're going all in. And so we went <laughs> all in. And 10 seconds later, we both had handily won this race and all the parents start booing like, boo, boo, like we were bad sports or something. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I had, I had wondered, am I faster than a fifth grader? And I found out that I was faster than a fifth grader, but I was dumber than a fifth grade politician because I just lost 300 votes from <laughs> winning this race. So that was what the story was about. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. And I wouldn't have known what to do because if you just let the kid win, that might have been considered bad also. I know. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, I thought maybe I, I wouldn't win. I was in my mid-40s and so was Dot. Who knows? But that's just the way it went down. And, um, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't funny at the time, I tell you. But looking back, it was kind of funny. Yeah. So... What's it like not being in Congress anymore? I mean, do you feel a lot more relaxed? What's the difference in how you feel and your stress level? Well, there's a good part and a bad part. The great thing about being in Congress is that I could pick up the phone and, and change one person's life. There was some uh, constituent who was stuck in a jail in Vietnam, and I was able to pick up the phone and make a few phone calls and get her released, and it was so rewarding. The thing that I'm so happy and relieved about, about not doing it, is you have to do about four hours a day of fundraising calls, which is not a joy. And I love the opportunity to be able to spend time with my family and have fun and make a little bit more money. So it's, it's sort of bittersweet. It's a great job to have, but I don't think it's meant to do forever. I did my tour of duty for eight years, and so now I'm happy to be back in the private sector and, and having as much fun as I can and making a little bit of money. Yeah, I know what you mean about that grind of having to run every two years. Our congressman here in Connecticut is Jim Himes, and he's a friend, and I know how hard it is for him. And he's got to hit up everybody for funds, and he hardly ever even has anybody running against him who has any shot. He basically walks away with the election every two years, but it's a terrible grind. And I was talking to another friend who's one of the senators from Connecticut, and he was saying what a relief it was to only have to do it every six years instead of every two years. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a, much, uh, it's a much better gig to be a senator, to only be up every, every six years. But the, you know, the downside for them, I, I have to raise a million dollars a year. Uh, if you're a U.S. senator in Florida, you got to raise like 
20 million, 30 million to get reelected. So it's it's still tough there, too. Yeah. Well, I'll never be in politics. and I'm happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) I would hate the fundraising process. So I can understand how being done with that would be a great relief. Yeah, but it was fun. You get to travel the world and meet interesting people. And it was a great job. And I'm thrilled to have done it, but but thrilled to be past it, too. So what kind of law do you practice now? So I'm a litigator. I defend companies in connection with uh, tort suits or commercial litigation. I'd also do some patent and intellectual property litigation. I'm down in Orlando, Florida. I have a little bit of a unique niche. I represent all the roller coaster manufacturers uh, throughout the world. So it's civil litigation, which means you're arguing over money as, as opposed to criminal litigation uh, jail. But I enjoy it and have have been doing it a while. And that's what I did before I went to Congress and what I'm doing after. Oh, all right. Well, that's really interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We don't always get a former U.S. congressman as one of our contributors. So that was exciting for us. How can our listeners learn more about you? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's been a joy to be here. You can learn more about me. I have a website, which is rickkeller.net. Or if you go on YouTube, and I spell Rick kind of weird, R-I-C, you can look up Rick Keller, The Secret Power of Self-Deprecating Humor, and you should be able to get my TEDx talk there. So either the website or YouTube would be a great way to get a hold of me. Thank you again. I'm Amy Newmark. Thanks for listening, everybody. And please join me again on Monday for two stories about redemption after big mistakes from Chicken Soup for the Soul, Tough Times Won't Last, But Tough People Will. Will.